Je souhaite que vous aimez mes chansons Et dansez quand vous l'écoutez Et je souhaite que vous me comprendez Mais je sais, ce n'est pas vrai Hello and welcome to Cast and Wax. Uh, my name is Frank Allen, and I am filling in on host duty for uh, Jordan T. White. As Jordan said last episode, uh, he just went to Comic Con, and it took up a lot of his time, and he uh, is really busy catching up on lots of other work he's supposed to be doing. He's, he's I don't know exactly what he's doing. He's running all sorts of errands, reading all sorts of comics. He fell behind on doing dishes, things like that. So he he can't be on the show today. Point is, uh, I'm going to be hosting the show as the main host. Well, I wouldn't exactly say main host. Well, I'm pretty sure that's what Jordan said. I was the main host. I think, I mean, it, it, you're just the co-host. Well, yeah, but, you know, like, he's the main, he's usually the main host, and now I'm the main host. But let me introduce the other uh, people. Uh, with me, of course, is uh, Rory Sinjin, who you just heard. Hello, yes, I'm right here. Uh, still, as as he, everyone knows, a uh, historian, uh, doing lots of very important historical research, extra historical research. Absolutely, very, very much bonus historical research. Wonderful stuff, wonderful work that I do. Yeah, sure. And with us also is, of course, Jordan's cat, Skate. Hello, how's everybody doing today? Uh, Dad's not here. That's kind of weird. It's kind of weird that I'm still doing the show, even though Dad's not here. Well, we'll I mean, we're... we're, we're Authorized to give you treats, so it's going to be all right. Good, 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 good. So, are you going to tell them? Why don't you tell them what we've got planned for? This oh week? yeah, well, uh, b- basically we've got four different shows, so it's a pretty jam-packed show. Again, we, we don't have too too much time. What I'm going to do is I'm going to forego my Frank Allen section of the show, my Frank Allen interview, for two reasons. One is, of course, that the like we said, a limited amount of time. But also, since Jordan's not here, uh, we thought, well, we had a little idea to take an opportunity to do something we don't usually do, uh, which is make fun of him. Hardcore. Absolutely, yes. Uh, if I if I could tell this part because it's historical information. Uh, sure. Go ahead. Well, when Jordan was in high school, he was a very emotional boy. He was very uh, depressed sometimes, and as as teenagers are, pr- are prone to be, and he wrote depressed poetry. Yes, and we found it. So we thought uh, this would be a good time when he's not around to share that poetry with you, or some of it anyway, just a few, a little brief sampling. What do you think, Scape? Oh. <laughs> I don't know if I should join in on this, because Dad is like my dad. He, I love him, and he's the, the prime treat giver. Yeah, but I said I'm authorized to give you treats, so I can give you a treat. You can make fun of him, and then I'll give you treats. Yeah, but he'll be upset. Well, but I'll give you lots of treats. Do you understand? Treats. Treats are persuasive. Uh, maybe I'll join in. We'll see. Anyway, uh, let's, we want to, we want to try to fit in a few of these. So let's, we'll, we'll do one between everything. Like I said, I'm going to cut out my Frank Allen interview, so we have time for this. So, uh, here's, here's the first one. I will read it myself, of course. Uh, this one is called Alone Amongst You by Jordan D. White. It says by Jordan D. White right on it. Do, should I have some mood music? I don't even know if I, do we have any mood, like mood music? I don't know if we, ha- I don't have any right now. I mean, do you want me to sing? No, 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 no. Uh, we'll, we'll see if we can add some in later. That's fine. That's fine. We'll, I'll, I'll just do the poem. Here we go. I stand alone in a crowded room. I writhe alone in agony. The people near me do not look. I start to lose my sanity. I never knew what love was, and perhaps I never will. But as I stand here all alone and wonder if I can atone, the people all start throwing stones. I think they're throwing still. I'm falling now in darkness. I hear their laugh-like screams. I wonder, am I all alone, or is this just a dream? I think perhaps it isn't, for I haven't yet awoken. But I may lay there fast asleep, inside a dream that's oh so deep. I've counted one too many sheep, and now my life is broken. <laughs> uh, very, good. I really, very good. I really started to laugh. You can laugh. You can absolutely laugh. I, I really don't think it's a problem. It's pretty laughable. So I don't really see that much of a problem with laughing at the laughable things. But, you know, to each his own, I guess. Up first, we've got an episode of Guard Duty. This is the fifth episode. It's going to feature the Stallion and Peas Blossom. Uh, if you remember, basically, uh, the Earth Guard is a group of superheroes who watch over the Earth and, and defend it from threats of all kind, as you hear in the opening. On a 
mission that involved time travel. They went away. When they came back, the stallion's sidekick, Fole, was alive instead of dead, whereas Voodoo Lady, who was alive when they left, was now having been killed instead of a foe. So they're still dealing with that. This is The Stallion and Peace Blossom. Hopefully you'll enjoy it. The Earth Guard. The planet's most powerful heroes united in the common goal of protecting the innocent people of planet Earth and defending them from threats of all kinds. From the Guard Tower, their base of operations, they watch over the citizens and spring into action at any sign of danger. To that end, the Guard takes shifts monitoring events all over the globe. Sooner or later, they all have to take a shift of Guard Duty. This week, Peas Blossom and the Stallion in No Choices. So there I am. A tractor has me bound to the tracks with the twisted remains of my own horseshoes. And the train comes around the corner. Mm -hmm. The conductor sees us and hits the brakes immediately. But a tractor won't have it. He starts using his own power to speed the train up. I see. At this point, I think I'm done for. I start thinking of how likely it is that people in the train are going to get hurt, and if there's anything I can do to make the impact easier on them. How very mortal of you. But all of a sudden, Bowl bursts forward, jabs him with her electrocrop, and reverses his polarity. The shoes fly from my arms and my legs, and the train stops coming towards us, and even starts rolling backwards down the line before I clock the bastard in the jaw. Oh my. I can't even tell you how great it felt. I'd forgotten what it's like to have her with me. Someone always there to get my back. Someone I can really count on. <laughs> you don't say. Hmm? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing at all. Ever since Tanya's been back, I just feel... I feel like there's this huge weight that's been lifted off me. I think ever since that night, I've been wrestling with it. Her death, I mean. I kept asking myself if it was if it was worth it all. And I think that a part of me never really believed it was. But regardless, once she died, I could never stop. I had to keep going. Do more. I had to make it worth her life. And now that she's returned, you can retire? What? No, no, I'm not going to retire. I just feel like... It, it takes some burden off my shoulder, you know? I see. So, you're saying having fallback relieves you of responsibility? Well, no. No, of course not. Not really. Forget it. Let's just say that I'm happy she's back and leave it at that. Alas, if only it were that simple. I too am glad that Fall doth live once more, but Ocean Man didst say that though Fall livest... Yet Voodoo Lady is dead in exchange. That on that fateful day creationist attempted to turn Hillary to salt, the foal was to fight Mudman in the ribs. Twas she that fell in battle that day, held down by ribs while Mudman dealt the blows. Yet now, because of something Earth God did, not she, but Voodoo Lady lives no more. It wasn't something we did. It was... No, it was because of the Time Marines. We didn't make them go back in time. Hell, if we hadn't gone after them, things would have been a lot worse, let me tell you. You could have been exiled in the Socialist Collective of America, for one thing. It matters not to me. Economy and politics hold little interest here. Just take it from me, it wouldn't have been pretty. Regardless of all the change you did prevent, Fool's death was one that managed to slip through. The choice now stands. Whether to fix what's rent? And as the team leader, it falls to you. Choice? What choice? You mean kill Fole? To actually choose? To decide that she has to die? Well, someone is dead right now, as you well know. Someone who wasn't dead a week ago. Then we can save both of them. We can go back and change things, make it so neither of them dies. A very diplomatic choice indeed, but one that sets an awkward precedent. For once one uses time travel to stop one thing, then why not do the same for all? Don't all who die deserve to live some more? A slippery slope awaits after that choice. I'm not giving up on Tanya. No one would ask you to. They're far too scared. And yet methinks it would... I'm not giving up on Tanya! A war between ideals is seldom won, for one's own mind belongs to only one. Ah, me! 
What is this strange trinket here? Oh, that's... that's a Scrabble tile. Probably the Jack's. He's got a whole bag of them he keeps on his belt. <laughs> Listen, Pease. I want to talk to you seriously for a moment. Tanya's like a daughter to me. Having her around again? Well, it's, it's making me consider things I haven't thought of for a long time. I've been thinking about myself a little more. You never struck me as a person who has any trouble thinking of himself. <laughs> Methinks perchance we're quite alike that way. I meant my personal life. When Fowl was gone, I thought it was my responsibility to give up everything for the fight. I owed it to her. Now that she's alive again, I've been thinking of who we are outside of our masks. Chuck Cavallo hasn't really lived much of a life. Maybe it's time to change that. Far be it for me to say thou shouldst not live. For one as I, your life spans just a mood that comes and goes upon a passing thought. Endeavor as you please to wring as much experience from that time as you can. That's exactly it. How much have I been missing, focusing so narrowly on this one thing in my life? With so much wonder in the world, indeed, much can be missed by not looking about. Exactly. Yes. For the first time since I can remember, I want something to be good for me. I have Tanya back, and it makes me want more. I want us to be a family. Which means, of course, I'll have to open myself up to the possibility of having a lady in my life. I've often noticed how the mortal brain can be subdued, diverted, or detained by stirrings founded in these mortal hearts, or sometimes born of other body parts. <laughs> yes, well, there is one certain lady I'd already begun considering. Looking back, it seems obvious that she's been interested in me the entire time. But I'd been too blind to notice. Just as you said. Being too focused can cut one off from seeing the obvious. It was in the small things she does. The way she carries herself around me, always trying to draw attention to herself. She must have gotten frustrated with me not noticing her recently because she changed her costume to something more provocative in an attempt to catch my eye. You know, I think she was even jealous of Full when she returned. Interesting. Yes. I, uh, would offer to make for you a draft distilled of certain flowers, which, when dabbed upon the eyes, can turn their looks to love. But from the things you have already spoke, it seems the lady lacks not love for you. You think so, too, do you? <laughs> yes, I think things will be changing for me. Now that Fole is back in my life, things are just going to get easier from here. <laughs> Indeed, I find it hard to even think of you living five years without Fole's help. What? What do you mean by that? <laughs> nothing. Nothing at all. No, no, not nothing. What were you trying to say? Oh, I should have held my tongue, for now I'm Just afraid Just tell I... me. <laughs> well, these past few years among the guard, there has been something of a running joke about how, uh... You need Fall to save you all the time. What? Whenever we hear your tales of epic fights, inevitably it will come to pass that your opponent has you dead to rights and Fall has to swoop in and save you all. That is completely false. I mean, it's just not true. In the five years where she was dead, I fought hundreds of foes alone and I've always triumphed, no matter how hard I had to fight. And yet in the five years that now occurred where Voodoo Lady died and not the foal, we regularly mock you. That's your... impossible. That's... I'm the stallion. The stallion. You don't mock the stallion. And yet... Uh, yeah, come in, God Tower. Do you read me? Mr. Fahrenheit, we're here. What's your situation? Yeah, that's Mr. Fahrenheit. The, um, illusionist was raised an army. They're poised to invade New York. They're all covered in branches, which is, um... Reference to something, I guess. Falling back on Shakespeare again, is he? <laughs> Nothing betrays one's lack of ideas more. Where are they headed? Yeah, they're about to storm the George Washington. I could, uh... I could melt the pavement in front of them if you want. Slow them down a little, at least. Do it. We're on our way. Attention, Earth Guard. We have a Priority One emergency. All units report in ASAP. We're on the job.
Guard Duty by Jordan D. White with Michael D. Mikulski as the narrator, Rich Bellin as the stallion, Angela Tymon as Peas Blossom, Elijah Weberhan as Mr. Fahrenheit with theme song by Michael D. Mikulski. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, that was, as you know, guard duty. I hope you enjoyed it. And now uh, we're going to continue with our, our series of making fun of Jordan by reading his old poetry from high school. Uh, this time, with Frank's permission, I will read one. Yeah, I, that's all right. I, I, I suppose that's that's you know fair. We all get to read something funny. Each, it'll be good. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, this one is called Cloudy Disposition. The misery I feel now is a fate that I deserve. It may seem that I'm very sad or that I'm quite unnerved, but don't you worry for me. Don't you even bat an eye. It's just that my whole life is crap, and I'm too weak to die. Bad things that happen to me are really all my fault. My life is like an open wound being massaged with salt. But really, I am not depressed. I'm just stating the facts. My life is like a play, but I walked out on the first act. I feel so bad for all of you. You're forced to hear my pain, because nowadays this misery is all that fills my brain. So now I say I'm sorry for putting you through my hell, but likely I shall feel this way till my requiem bell. Thank you. (laughs) 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 This is pretty good stuff. I'm very pleased with it. I'm very, very pleased with it. Um, what do you think, Scape? Do you, do you think, what do you think of the, uh, poems so far? Do you, are you enjoying them? Do you think they're well written? Uh, well, I don't, I don't think I could write one like that. I don't, probably not as, as good as that I could write. Okay. I, I mean, I believe you. I, maybe you could. No, I don't think so. Uh, I liked the part in that one, like when it was like, uh, salt. Because I, I like salt. Things that are salty, like, sometimes Dad will eat a pretzel stick. And I'll be like, oh, <laughs> I'll have a bite. And I have to go to get it, ah, uh, I'll get it uh, on the side of my mouth. And I go bite it, bite right through, and it's like, crunch. Crunch. <laughs> like that. That's what salt, that's why, I, that, that's because I like salt. Okay, and I mean, that doesn't really have much to do with the poem, but that's okay. Next, we've got Tractor Fiction, a wonderful thing. Now, this uh, was recorded right around Halloween time. We had a, a kind of a run of a couple of episodes that were Halloween-themed right around Halloween as part of the build-up, because uh, he writes a lot about Halloween, Jack Chick does, that is to say. He thinks it's an evil holiday, so he kind of spotlights it. And then people like to give away the tracts, the Halloween tracts, at Halloween to convince trick-or-treaters that they shouldn't have been trick-or-treating in the first place, I guess. Uh, but here's one. It's called Boo. It's very scary, so to speak. Hopefully you'll enjoy it now. We use the works of Jack Chick and we, we illuminate them, so to speak, orally. For a radio audience, it's an amazing thing, Uh, and I call it amazing not because it's amazing, but because it's really amazing. This week, we've got a tract called Boo for the Halloween season, and I believe if everyone is ready, we shall begin this tract. We begin as a group of party-hungry teenagers make their way up to Camp Basilbub, off in the forests of Massachusetts. You rented this whole place for only $15? Yeah, man, it's for our class Halloween party. Everybody who's anybody from Salem High will be here. Charlie, I know why you go this place so cheap. Why? Because last Halloween, 13 people were murdered here, yo. What? Did they get the killer? They riddled him with bullets but couldn't find his body, dude. He must be dead. Dude, then there is nothing to worry about. The gang should be here by dark. Boy, have I got a surprise for them. Carrie will sacrifice a captive Satan at midnight! What a way to end a party, huh? <laughs> that night, as the youngsters drove up to the party, hooting and hollering in their revelries, the killer stood on a hillside and watched their approach. He wore all black and had a large jack-o'-lantern covering his head. They're coming to celebrate my birthday. Crap, I forgot my chainsaw. At midnight, as promised, Carrie stood at a satanic altar, clothed in dark robes. In one hand, 
She held a ceremonial knife, while the other hand held down the cat. Oh, mighty Satan! We sacrifice this cat to you on your birthday! Suddenly, the jack-o'-lantern-wearing killer burst through the door with his chainsaw, which he apparently went back home to get just for this occasion. I don't want the cat as my sacrifice! I want Carrie! He's killing everyone! Help! No! Soon, as the call goes into the police station... Chief, there's another massacre going down at Camp Basilball. Oh no! If it's the same killer, we'll need the whole army! Forty minutes later, the police have the killer surrounded. They open fire, riddling the killer with bullets again, as they did the previous year when it didn't work. You're next! <laughs> Die, you bastard! What is it? The killer pulls off his jack-o'-lantern mask, revealing that he was, in fact, the devil himself! Surprise! Run! Tis the devil himself! He vanished into thin air! We've already got 19 dead. You gotta stop him, Chief. He must be on his way to the village. May the saints preserve them. Soon, the devil stood crouching in the bushes outside the village church, looking in through one of the windows at Joey, a young boy who lived nearby. That little creep is praying when it's time to party. Oh, good, here he comes. Yeah! Gasp, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Crap! As Satan ran off into the hills, Joey called out after him. I hate you, and I hate your lousy birthday. The next morning, Joey went to talk to the pastor about his experiences. Pastor, is Halloween really Satan's birthday? No, Joey. He was created in heaven, and his name was Lucifer. <gasps> he was a beautiful creature who guarded God's throne. Then he rebelled against God. So he was kicked out of heaven. About a third of the angels rebelled too, and were kicked out with him. They became demons, and Lucifer became Satan. Who kicked him out of heaven, Pastor? His creator, the Lord Jesus Christ! Ah, I hate that name! Satan is alive and well, and is busy destroying mankind. He and his demons know their time is short. They're afraid of Jesus Christ, because he created the lake of fire for them. But Satan wants everybody to fry in hell with him. Unfortunately, he'll get most of them. He is a master deceiver, and Halloween is just one of his tricks. Kids love Halloween because it is both fun and scary. Flick a tweet. But they have no idea what's behind this celebration. To Satanists and witches, Halloween is no joke. It's their most solemn ceremony of the year. As we get closer to the second coming of Jesus, Satanism will increase by as much as 50%. So will human sacrifice. Halloween started in the British Isles with the Druids. Those guys were really spooky. October 31st was a night of terror called Samhain. That night, the Druids went house to house, taking victims for human sacrifice. In exchange for the victim, they left a Jack of the Lantern, which was supposed to protect the home from death demons that night. Satan loves Halloween because it glamorizes the powers of darkness, drawing little children into his camp. And it's paying off! Witchcraft is exploding among teens today. The Lord hates Halloween and its evil origin. Satanic human sacrifices are a slap in God's face. Satanic sacrifices are mockeries of God's perfect sacrifice for our sins. You mean Jesus was crucified? Yes. Satan hates that message and blocks it every chance he gets. He has blinded people's minds to this truth. That's his trick. This is what Satan doesn't want you to hear. Don't listen to this part. Trust me. Sin stops everyone from going to heaven. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He shed his precious blood to wash away our sins. If you believe Jesus died for your sins and receive him as your personal savior, you will be saved from hell. Then you will reign with Jesus. That's the smart move. But if you're a dummy and go with Satan... Hi, guys. Welcome to the laughing place. You rat! Get the picture. Thank you very much. That was the tract known... What's this laughter? It's you... the laughter of Satan. All right. The damned are laughing. Why does Satan laugh so much, La Pastor? Satan laughs... No, no, hold on, hold it's on. because he's very easily <laughs> amused. He created the laughing place. That is correct. No, the flames Actually, him. if you... Ma'am, ma'am, speak not of what you know not. It's said clearly that Jesus created that place for... To put them in. What we're going to do now is we're going to have our debate on uh, this beautiful tract 
Uh, we need a volunteer. Anyone want to volunteer? Okay, we have one volunteer, and we need another volunteer. I'll do it. All right, madam. Uh, sir, why don't you come up here first, and if anyone can search for a coin while they're coming up, that would be very appreciated. Sir, what's your name? My name is... Aaron. Hello, Aaron. How are you today? I am good. That's good. And ma'am, what's your name? Buckles. Buckles. All right. Um, we're going to debate this tract. That's fine. I, I, actually, I've got... It's fine. I've got a coin here. We're going to find out... Uh, I don't quite know what their backgrounds are, but we're about to find out because, in fact, Buckles is going to be arguing that Boo is 100% correct, while Aaron here is going to be saying that it is incorrect. So, why don't we let the the uh, attacker, so to speak, start first? Yeah. Aaron, can you tell me why you don't believe this is true? Well, the truth behind Halloween is that it's actually a celebration of correct Sahain, which is a celebration of the Wiccan community. Which is evil. No, it's not evil. Uh, it yeah, worships it the earth and the wonderful things of the earth. But it doesn't worship Jesus, who is, like, totally not evil. Therefore, it's evil. Can't argue with that logic. <laughs> That's interesting logic. Let me ask a more specific question. Um, Aaron, how can you defend a holiday that's about killing children? Well, the truth is the holiday's about scaring away the evil spirits. By killing their children. No, no, there's no killing children. Are you Child sure? Because killer. I remember them saying that they killed children in It's here. a false, false tract, as Child we said before. Killer. All right, so you're saying this is not correct. They didn't kill any children. That is correct. All right. How do you come back against that? They didn't... Apparently, he says they didn't kill any children. Well, that's probably just because they couldn't find any. I mean, come on. Really. That's an interesting... Now, maybe... That, what if they just couldn't find any children, Aaron? There's a lot of children in the world. If you can't find children... They're hiding. Yeah, so the Wiccans must be really, really bad at finding things, I well, guess. I'm sorry, who's this, sir? Sir, are you an expert on this? Who am I speaking yes, to? Yes, actually. I'm Bible scholar, Bible McBibleMeister. Bible McBibleMeister, welcome yes. to the show. Uh, Honored to be here. Surprise guest, I'm glad that you, you came. P personally, I have to say that he's kind of biased because of his name. <laughs> Is this true? Oh, no, actually. Oh, he's a total impartial party. Now, no, my understand hold, actually, hold on, actually. Yes. I would like to defend myself. I am impartial because I was actually raised in a monastery in Tibet. Ha! That doesn't wow. make you partial. No, it no, makes him impartial. That's impartial. what he's saying. No, like, no. here's partiality. Here's me. Totally different places. For those of you at home, he's holding his hands out very far away from each other. Uh, that could have been a trick of radio because he could have said, here's me and here's here's that and had them right next to each other and you wouldn't have known. The but I'm going to clarify that. The funny thing about that is that they're still attached to the same body, so therefore they're the same thing. That's an interesting fact. Well, Sounds anyway, let's get back to the child killing because, you know, this is an issue that really weighs on my mind. There is no child killing. Yes, there is. I mean, every time you ritualistically kill a child, God kills a Puppy. No, Do you know really what? I want to watch him kill a puppy. I'm gonna cry. I, I actually so have basically, a question. Oh no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So yeah. you're putting you're putting the life of a puppy in front of a child. Well, listen. And who's the evil no, one? No, I'm not putting the oh, life of a puppy a in front of a child. <laughs> I'm putting the life. I'm comparing the life of a puppy to the life of a child. No, the pastor. The pastor said in this tract, uh, buckles and Bible. Uh, Mc, oh, I'm sorry. What was your name? Bible McBible. Bible Mc, Mr. McBibleMeister. Formerly of Tibet. Is it Dr. McBibleMeister? It's actually Lama McBibleMeister. Lama McBibleMeister. I have a, a question. It, for both of you who are defending this, it says in here that satanic human sacrifice is a slap in God's face. It is. Uh, he has to put ice on it for Well, I have a question. Well, Isn't that kind of the point? Well, yeah, it's kind of the point, I guess, but that doesn't make it right. Well, that's kind of like saying, you just made where's hamburgers because you were hungry. Wait a minute, where's our, our, our person who is... Continuing to assert that there isn't child killing. <laughs> okay, okay, child okay, killing fine, defender. Fine, fine. We'll drop the child, no child killing kill. aspect of it. <laughs> All right. So how? Okay. I okay. We'll drop that. We'll say that's not true. How many no, children no, we'll just have take you it killed? As a given. I've killed zero children. So, so you're obviously low in the ranks of your of your uh, organization. Well, as I said, we don't kill children. Oh, okay, you don't. Folks, this man is a flip flopper. He goes from saying that he is in favor of killing children to saying that he does not kill children. Yeah, this doesn't make any I've sense. Never you said, that wait, I you said you were in favor of this holiday, but you don't want to kill children. I don't understand. The holiday is not about killing children. There he goes again. <laughs> that inconsistency. No, no. I 
I've okay. been consistent. Oh, okay, so how do we know this holiday isn't about killing children? All we have is do your some, word for it. No, no. Well, for one thing, do I some worse. Child corpses on November first. All right, I have I have a question. Yeah. Good hiding. hiding. I have a question. We have someone here who once went trick or treating. Uh, oh my God, poor! And you survived, ma'am. Can you tell us about the experience? Uh, okay, over here. She's she is here. You go, ma'am. Can you tell us about the experience? You went trick or treating. I understand it was mortifying. It was. I was so terrified. There were children. And killed children, obviously. Oh, they were killed? Yes. Oh. They were like, oh zombie like, because there was blood everywhere. Oh, I see. They were an so, awful oh mess. It was just, oh, I see. Are so you, you you're saying. Blood? You're saying you, you went out. It looked like real blood. You went what out on Halloween. Walking and such? No, what? Were, were the kids walking and such? They jumped out at me from behind a bush. Do you understand? And they yelled things and they were bleeding. Oh, oh my That's god. Like they yeah, were survived? survived? Are you sure they just didn't watch candy? <sighs> no, typical example of Satan magic. <laughs> that's that's like saying that movies are real. You don't it's believe makeup. in well, you don't believe real, in movies. Just not actually like Hold on. movies. Are you attacking our entertainment in industry? No, How could you? I'm I'm saying that it's makeup. People dress up for Halloween. Wiccans in Kids. their robes uh-huh. for killing people. Heathens. Kids dress the up infidels. in makeup. So well, let, me, heathens. And let me get an official walking? statement about from from Aaron. Aaron, can you officially say? <laughs> Will you will you look right at the microphone and say unequivocally pledge that there won't be any killing of children on this Halloween? There will be no. And when I say no, I mean zero, zilch, nada, not a single child. No child will be left behind. There will Wait, be so you're going to kill Wait. all the children? No, there'll be no killing. No, ki- okay, no killing. Halloween. It's Halloween. So you're saying Halloween is not about killing children? Correct. Okay, good. Now, I, now, y'all. <laughs> I want to bring this conversation back to something that is near and dear to me, the education in this country. <laughs> hold on, hold on just a second. No child just a left second. behind? You know, this, <laughs> there you go. This, this you conversation thing, actually reminds me of something. <laughs> it reminds me of the you fact... You devour it. I don't know why. Uh, someone just sent me a message saying that this is an election year and that if people want their, their voice to be heard, they should vote. Now, my understanding is that vote won't actually affect whether children are killed on Halloween, but because <gasps> Halloween is before the election, but it will affect who runs the country for the next four years. So make sure to, if you've registered to vote, you did a great job. Make sure to go and vote on election day. Thank you very much. I know who I'm voting for. Now I will reveal who won that debate. It was an incredible debate, but I'm sorry. Aaron won the debate. There won't be any killing. Sorry. Well, good. Oh, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, good. I mean, good for all of us. I believe that because he has won this debate, there will be another Wiccan attack on this country. <laughs> that is possible, but we'll all find out next week. Thank you for listening to Tracks for Fiction. Stick around. <laughs> episode of Tractor Fiction featured the voice talents of Frank Allen, Aaron Boss, Magdalena Richards, Nicholas Roach, Daniel Schwartz, Angela Tyman, Devin White, and Jordan D. White. Thank you, Rory. That was very good. It was a very good tract, I think. What do you think, Scape? Oh, again, I, re- I look forward to the shows I'm in. I, I did like the, the evil guy. The devil. The devil. Yeah, he was uh, pretty cool. I'm glad you liked him. It's actually kind of funny that you mentioned that, because he's actually in the next room. I'm going to bring him in as a special guest. Ah, cool. Okay, uh, come on, let me come on back. And uh, hey, I'm back here, and with me is this incarnation of the devil. Say hello. Why, hello, everyone. My name's Lucifer. <laughs> Welcome to the show. We're very happy to have you. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. This tract about my birthday is one of my favorite things in the world. Except that it mentions Jesus. I don't like him. No, you wouldn't, I guess. Uh, according to this, anyway, he's he's God, right? So he banished you to the laughing place, so to speak. Yes, it's very funny. It's actually an ironic name. You don't laugh much there. You scream with pain. <laughs> Really? So then why do you laugh so much? Oh, I don't know. It's just quite funny. <laughs> Speaking of things that are funny, we actually have, uh, we're, we're making fun of Jordan. You know Jordan? Oh, of course I know Jordan. I influence everything he does. Right, right. Well, um, we're, we're reading his poetry from high school. Uh, we thought maybe you'd like to, uh, read one. Of course I would. I'm the one who told him to write it. <laughs> Good, good. I'm glad you find that so funny. Speaking of things that are funny, we've got one called How Funny. Maybe you'd like to read that one. I would love to. How Funny by Jordan D. White. 
It's rather amusing the way things turned out. It really makes me laugh. At least it seems quite funny from where I stand about, and that's the only perspective I have. A funnier story I've never heard of. And funnier still, because it's true. You told me that I'd never lose your love, and silly me, I believed you. And what's more ironic is the next part, when I told you that I would love you forever with all of my heart, and you thought that it was a lie. So I still love you, and you don't love me, and I sit here in the quiet, feeling empty inside, miserable as can be. Now, isn't that a riot? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Quite good, quite good. Uh, That's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. You are really scary. Oh, good, little boy. That's supposed to be what I am. Wait, you're not a boy, are you? You're a cat! Hey, don't hiss at me! I'm tough! I believe you. I don't want to fight anyway. I should be going. Oh, you have to go so quickly? Yes, yes, I was just here for a brief visit. I wanted to plant the seeds of evil in everyone's brain. But now I've done that, I'll go home. To the laughing place. <laughs> we'll have fun there. Oh, I won't. <laughs> See you soon. Excellent, excellent. Wow, that was weird. Uh, what, Rory, what do we got up next? It's funny you should actually ask that. Next is This Day in History. Here we are. Welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On May 5th, 1821, Napoleon Bonaparte, the former French ruler who once ruled an empire that stretched across Europe, dies as a British prisoner on the remote island of St. Helena in the southern Atlantic Ocean. Let's listen. They cannot keep me here forever. If I have to, I will eat my way out of this prison. Chomp, 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 chomp. Monsieur Napoleon, what are you doing eating through that wall? Nothing. I was just finishing up the dinner. Boom, dinner. It's good. But there are no paint chips in the dinner, and yet there are clearly in this bundle what you have spat out just now. My goodness, it is full of lead. You shall surely die. I don't feel so good. What did I say? (coughs) Everyone heard it? I did. (laughs) Okay. Not my fault. I did not kill Napoleon. Indeed, the French have long not known about the rule not to eat paint chips, as they are quite deadly. Uh, This does explain their general demeanor towards Americans, uh, who, of course, are way too smart to eat paint chips at all. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. Attendez, ce n'est pas tout. My name's Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast in Wax. Having heard that wonderful story, you're probably thinking, Rory, this is the second time you've insulted the French since the podcast began. What did the French ever do to you? Well, I'll tell you. I was orphaned very young as a child and was raised in France by terrible people who punished me every day. They refused to feed me anything that wasn't garnished with lead paint chips. Now, of course, this made it very difficult for me because I knew that I wasn't supposed to eat lead paint chips as it was fairly, you know, poisonous and all that. And so I had to precariously and delicately pick out the paint chips every single day. And I vowed that no matter what, when I grew up, I would make sure that no one else ever ate paint chips as part of a garnish of a dish or trusted the French. The point is, lead paint chips, I know that they look like a, a wonderful little salad garnish. You'd think, oh, I can just crush that little and sprinkle it in. But the fact is, it probably makes all sorts of bad things happen. Like, I think if you actually eat them, your lungs will explode out of your body or perhaps you'll vomit them out of your body. But the point is, it, it will make you die. And the same thing will happen if you um, become French. If you're not French uh, already. If you are already French, then, you know, it's too late. Damage is done. And that's a lesson I learned in one universe. I tricked you. That wasn't really true. But the lesson still remains. Don't eat paint chips. It's really bad. This is Rory Sinjin, and you're listening to Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. Okay, uh, you know, look, I, I just want to point out, this this is getting really weird. L- last time you had crazy things with things I, I don't even want to talk about how weird they were, but this time you told a story about yourself, and then at the end you say, no, that story about me wasn't even true. What is the point of that? Is that I, why... Are you doing it? Well, again, it's an important lesson. It, it taught you about uh, not not eating lead chips. What if people were sprinkling them on their salads? I don't actually believe anybody does that. Anyone in the, in the entire world does that, the salad thing. Well, not anymore. Of course not. They've, they've heard this now. They would never. Right. Right. Let's move on, actually, to Decker and Hayes. Uh, Decker and Hayes is a show about lesbian detectives. In the last episodes, what you heard was um, Stella Decker and Macy Hayes took a case from Tess Nichols. Her husband was dead. She wanted to know why. Well, they couldn't find many leads. Macy Hayes found out that her name was Tess W. Nichols, and she made a phone call to a mysterious person. We're about to find out who that mysterious person is and what that's all about. Oh, but let me remind you, of course, that this was recorded live on the air, so the quality is a little bit lower, again, as always, as was Tractor Fiction. Here's Decker and Hayes. Enjoy.
Decker and Hayes, Episode 4, Riddles and Liaisons, by Nicholas Roach. Parlor Town. City of shattered ambitions and decaying dreams. You can be seen in the eyes of every hopeless drug addict, every beggar, every prostitute, every nine-to-five working stiff, every sad soul who struggles through the day just to get by and see the next. Has it always been like this? No one remembers. No one knows and no one even cares. But in the midst of the lifeless cracked streets and the rotting buildings left from an era long gone, there walk two individuals with a desire to find something more, see past the dull gray of this dying municipality and look for the truth, even if the truth doesn't want to be found. Stella Decker and Macy Hayes began a private investigation agency to find the truth, wherever it hid, and Lord knows the voluptuous Tess Nichols needed to find it. Macy, following up on a hunch she had when she saw Tess's initials, returned to the restaurant where her husband's body was found to discover a new clue. Playing on this hint, she dialed a number she thought she'd never have to dial again. <laughs> well, well, well. Lolita, the particle daughter, returns at last with the most awkward questions. You never did know when to keep your nose out of other people's business. Come on, answers now, Paladin. I don't think you want me to get you and your new partner in trouble. Ah, never knew how to take no for an answer either, did you? I always liked that. I give you the answers you seek. Meet me at the usual spot. 7 p.m. Tonight. Alone. Macy could hear the click on the other end. She held the phone receiver to her ear for a few moments before hanging up. Lolita. Paladin. Whisper. Names she thought he would never go through her head again. Now they were all she was thinking about. She sighed as she picked up her handbag, containing her makeup and her gun. Back in the day, she never knew which one she had to have ready when Anthony Cross was involved. And what of the Wexler in Wexler and Cross, the firm she reached when she called? The answers were beginning to fit together for Macy Hayes, but she needed this last rendezvous to get everything straight. She unlocked the door and opened it to find her partner, Stella Decker, and their secretary, Tommy Potsdam, who was holding a book with a red cover. Yeah, I'm glad you lent me this. It's a great story, but I was too depressed to keep reading. Why? The girl killed herself. Keep reading, Tommy, my boy. Keep reading. Never be sure you know how a story ends until you see the last page. Oh, there you are, Macy. About time you got done in there. First the bathroom, now the office. You take all day wherever you go. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Look, sugar, I have to go follow up on a lead. You found something? Hold on, I'll get my coat. No, honey, I have to do this one alone. Why? In all the time we've worked together, I never remember you even remotely suggesting such a thing. I want to tell you, but trust me when I say this. I can't. I should be back shortly. If my hunch is correct, then I'll be able to blow this case wide open. I don't like the sound of it, but I've never stopped you when you get like this, and I don't intend on trying now. Thank you. Stay safe, sugar. Ditto. With that, Macy Hayes walked out of the office. She made sure to wait until her back was to Tommy and Stella, before she let a solitary tear fall down her sheet. Once Macy was out of earshot, Stella flopped on the office chair. Sometimes, Tommy, I worry about that girl. Yes, Miss Duggar. She's been acting quite strange today. Wonder why that is. She goes off into her own world sometimes when she gets a big clue like this, but she never leaves me this much out of the loop. I just wish I had a lead of my own. I feel like I'm on the sidelines for this case. Just then, the phone rang. Tommy began to reach for it, but Stella stopped him. I think I'll take this one. Decker and Hayes. Long time no see, Decker. McGinnis? That's my name. I was wondering if you could help me with a case I've been working on. Save it, McGinnis. I already have a partner, and so do you. If you can't handle all the new business that Lummox Bobco is giving you, don't come crying to me. You're still bitter over that? Decker, it's not my fault he's feeling vindictive after you punched him out. But anyway, certain obese, corrupt cops aside, has a certain dame calling herself Tess Nichols come by your office? What about it? As I thought. Can we meet at Stan's Diner in five? Yeah. Get us a booth. Meanwhile, across the city, in the not-so-creatively named neighborhood of South Tip, a decrepit monument stood among the other forgotten buildings. An old clock tower, an emissary from Parlor Town's long-dead age of dreams. Was it the gift of a wealthy philanthropist? A handsome donation from a formerly prosperous corporation? Perhaps it was sprung from the money of the once many taxpayers who lived there. Don't ask anyone living here. All they know is that this tower, much like the surrounding neighborhood, has once seen better days. 
If it were alive right now, if its gears were turning, if its bell hadn't rusted over years ago, it would be sounding seven. Macy Hayes stood upon the steps leading into the building. Remember the days when she would hear the tower sound. She sighed and continued in. Sure enough, Cross was at the opposite end of a large room, with another figure submerged in the shadows of the nearest corner. See, my darling Wexler, I told you Lolita would come. Saving the dramatics, Paladin. And Tess, come out of there already. You're not fooling anyone. Was I that obvious? Kinda. But your biggest mistake was letting me see the cigarette case, Tess Wexler Nichols. Now for the answers. In good time, my dear Lolita. Now. If he isn't willing to give you anything, I am. Unbeknownst to Macy Cross or Tess, a man wearing nothing but hospital-grade pants, a pair of boots, and a sick grin had walked into the room, holding an empty vial. Take thou this vial, being then in bed, and this distilled liquor drink thou off, when presently through all thy veins shall run a cold, drowsy humor, for no pulse shall keep this native progress but surcease. No warmth, no breath shall testify thou livest. The roses in thy lips and cheeks shall fade to pally ashes. Thy eyes' windows fall like death when he shuts up the day of life. Jack? That's Jack? That can't be. They found his body. In this town, even the corn has its price. Each part, deprived of supple government, shall stiff and stark and cold appear like death. And in this borrowed likeness of shrunk death, thou shalt continue two and forty hours, and then awake as from a pleasant sleep. The apparently alive Jack Nichols dropped the vial onto the floor, where it exploded into a million pieces. As if on cue, several thug-like men armed with revolvers entered the room and took up various positions, training their guns on Macy, Cross, and Tess. Tess, you've been a very, very naughty girl. The dead walking the earth. Old rivals finding themselves on the same unlikely team. And the answers Macy Hayes and Stella Decker thought were within arm's reach are still another mile away. Why is Jack Nichols still alive? What do Tess and Cross have to do with all of this? What does McGinnis know? And will Macy leave this old clock tower alive? Tune in next week for the next installment of Decker and Hayes. Hear the whisper. In that episode of Decker and Hayes, the narrator was Daniel Schwartz, Stella Decker was Angela Tymon, Macy Hayes was Lynn Nelson, Tess Nichols was Devin White, Tommy Potsdam was Nicholas Roach, Jack Nichols was Jordan D. White, Dr. Anthony Cross was Aaron Bass, and Julian McGuinness was Rich Bellin. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Makowski. Excellent, excellent stuff. Uh, we're moving along, we're moving right along. That's what Jordan likes to say, right? We're moving right along. Isn't that what he always says? I, I think that is one of his uh, catchphrases. They put it on t-shirts now, right? Are you being sarcastic? I don't know. Well, in some universes, I'm being sarcastic, while in others, I'm telling you an absolute fact. Oh, God, why are we on this topic? Uh, let's get... Hey, you know what? Let's make fun of Jordan. Oh, of course, yes. That sounds like fun. It, it's because it is fun. Uh, Scape, did you want to read one of these poems? Oh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know if I should. I'll tell you what, you you guys read them. I'll, I'll do the criticism afterwards, like you were doing before. Okay. Uh, Rory, did you want to take another one? Of course, yes, absolutely. This one is called... Love, and I say it like love because there is a question mark at the end of the title. Here we are. What is love? I'll tell you now. It's how things make you feel when they illuminate your life and show you love is real. When something special touches you and shows your heart the light and takes your mind and warps it into something not quite right. It shines through all with brilliance that is brighter than the sun. It shows you just what life's about. It even makes life fun. It takes your heart to heaven. It teaches you to fly. It throws you back onto the ground and leaves you there to die. Love is just meaningless crap that's dangled on a hook. We swallow it with open mouth without a second look. We're still surprised, however, when that hook impales our face. And when we're cleaned and gutted and we wallow in disgrace, we finally will realize just what love is about. It lovingly will chew you up, then gladly spit you out. Okay. Uh, Scape, what did you think of that? Well, I really like fish. Our fish are so tasty. D that wasn't about fish. It was I think it talked some about fish. It's kind of like a fishing hook. And they, they gutted it, 
And I ate it. Well, actually, it sort of spits it out. But it's not about a fish. It's about you. A cat? No, no. Like, it's about one. One fish? No, like what? Like one. Like, this is what one experiences. What one fish experiences? No. Like, one person or or human or sentient life form. It's, it's about love. It's about the experience of what love is about. Look, I don't want to defend it. It's a, it's a, it's a crappy poem. The point is we're, we're reading his bad poems. They're, they're stupid. They're silly. They're little, oh, I'm so depressed. Oh, the world is a, is a, tar, is a dark and, and hard place to live in. That, I mean, that, that was what he was feeling at the time. But it's like a, it's like a silly young person thing. Ah, uh, okay. But it's like about eating fish. Okay. Uh, well, I'm glad you like eating fish. Me too. It's good. Excellent. Good. Okay. <sighs> I, I, you know, I can see why Jordan gets exasperated by this. So let's, you know, let's keep going. This is, uh, what do we got left? Epic Echoes. Epic Echoes is the backwards series about Max Thornfield and his flashback. Uh, in the previous episode, meaning the next episode, they fought Cthulhu. And, uh, let's see what happened before that, shall we? Here we are. The Backward Series, Episode 5, Gains and Losses, by Daniel Schwartz. Months passed with no word from Dralis. Max and the gang hung around Flashpoint, their secret headquarters, waiting for news. No such luck. The alien fleet floated over Earth like a big, menacing blimp of some sort. Molly kept mostly to herself, pensively pacing the halls, slowly coming to grips with some inner struggle. The others, meanwhile, tried to come up with a way to confront the no-doubt hostile invaders. I've known Dex to try many techniques to force his enemies into submission, but this Dralis thing is totally alien to my experience. The resemblance between them is uncanny, and if she is brainwashed, then it's more thorough than anything I've before encountered. I'm inclined to think she may have truly defected of her own will. No way! I've known Dralis for years. There's no way she could betray us. Except in the way that she did. Be realistic, Max. We need to at least entertain the possibility that she's really turned. Slaughter, we grew up with Dralis. Dex must be using some kind of device to control her mind. That is a possibility, Max, but the, the odds of it are slim at best. I know you care for Dralis, but she has joined Dex in his maniacal crusade. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have an appointment in the rock garden with Molly. Well, we need some kind of spaceship. Otherwise, we'll never be able to get to their secret base in the Himalayas. It's in a mountain range? On Earth? What's the big deal, then? Yeah, can't we take the jet? No dice. If their defenses are half what they claim, the jet won't be nearly fast enough. We'll need some serious mad science to get into their base. But Molly seems a little, you know, she may not be up to it. Are you kidding? Molly bothers together a plasma cannon out of some rubber bands in the sun that one time. She can handle a stupid spaceship. I don't want to put too much on her plate right now, though. Let's at least get somebody to install the hyperdrive she and Julie built into a chassis. Oh no, you don't mean... Oh yes, but I do. And so, a week later, at the garage of Nectori Stella, DMS, you put it in a what? Well, Miss Singh, you must remember that aerodynamics are irrelevant when traveling at superliminal speeds. It's a freaking trolley, you ridiculous shudra! It doesn't have airlocks or astrogation computers or anything you need to travel through space. Did you get your doctorate off the internet? That's not very nice, Miss Singh. And since you asked, all the display screens are pop-up, observe. Well, okay, that's kind of cool. But it's still ridiculous. And this control panel doesn't make any sense to me. Did you remember to use language when making labels for these? Do these symbols correspond to words or ideas? Oh, yes, that. Well, it's not so difficult. When we fly to base, I will show you. You're coming with us? Why? Is there something there you need to strap to something wildly inappropriate? The controls are tough to manage without being shown how to use them. However, time is of the essence, and so I, I cannot be just showing you how it is done. You will see as we do, da? We're going to die. That's it. Dead. 
like it's our job. But Molly's protests were to no avail, and so it wasn't long before the flashback and their Erzat spaceship were hurtling toward the location of the alien secret base. Whee! I think I'm going to be sick. How is there even air in here? Charlie uses force field to create small oxygen-rich bubble for passengers. It's safer than baby on a roller coaster. Babies on roller coasters are by nature highly unsafe. Precisely. We're going to die up here. This is great, Dr. Stelloff. We should have tried this years ago. So... Do we have any idea what we're getting ourselves into at this secret base? It seems like the alien warlord, Dex, is there to oversee the uh, last stage of his doomsday weapons construction. A doomsday weapon again? Sheesh, are there no new ideas? This one's a doozy. He's going to use a force field to crush the Earth. Oh, hey, that's kind of creative. Props to Dex for a new way to destroy the world. I remember Dex's tactics in placing troops. We'll be looking at guards at these points. If we each take one of these major nodes, we should be through in a matter of minutes. So we rush the base, guns blazing, and make Dex stop the beam and give us Dralis back? That's the plan. It's going to take all our ingenuity to save the planet this time. But as long as we stand together, nothing can stop us. Flashback! Flashback! Flashback. Flash... Oh, hey, that's a missile. The explosion hurled Dr. Stelloff from his precarious position at the helm of the trolley, flinging him into the atmosphere. Creeping comets! Must be miles to the ground. More missiles coming! I'll try to dodge them. That was a close one. Quickly, we may be able to land over there. Hold on! We're not gonna make it! Did I leave the light on in the bathroom? Everyone alright? I'm fine. I'm right in all ways. Right, I switched it off before I got my blaster. Okay, I'm here! Okay then, let's do this crazy thing. The flash pack rushed into the base, blasters blazing. At every turn, more alien troops tried to stop them, and soon the four were separated. Slaughter soon found herself cornered, staring down the business ends of four death rays. Okay, Jill, don't panic. Think. What would Sean Connery do? Hey, look over there! A distraction! What? How? Where? What? Soon the flash pack rendezvoused in front of the main door to the control room. All right, gang. Let's get this show on the road. We're putting on a show? Only in the sense that all the world is a stage. Is that Zen? Right. This is it, people. Flashback! Flashback! Max and the gang burst in, expecting to meet a flurry of blaster fire. Instead, they found only their foe, the alien warlord Dex, standing resplendent in his golden armor, his finger poised over a control panel. Well, well, well. If it isn't the intrepid Max Thornfield and his motley collection of misfits. We're not actually motley. We're all wearing solid colors. And you've seduced one of my own to your futile cause. How ironic. We never expected much of you, 8215. That's not a very nice thing to say. Where's Drellis, you otherworldly oppressor? <laughs> You're as blind as she said you would be, Thornfield. Haven't you learned from our previous encounters? My sister has truly embraced her destiny as the true and unquestioned ruler of this puny world. She has become worthy of serving at my side, dominating you who-mans with an iron fist. Under my tutelage, she shall crush you and all that you stand for. You're lying! You made her into a monster! Dralis was our friend! Only because you raised her here on this pitiful rock crawling with idealists and simpletons. Had she seen her true destiny, she would have killed you long ago. Really, Miss Slaughter, do you imagine that her incredible intellect and voluptuous body were simply the result of- Voluptuous body? Dude, she's your sister! Do not try to judge me by your Earth standards, who-man! Her body and her mind are mine by right, and I will turn both into my vision of the perfect Empress! Oh, gross! You presume to judge me, Earthwoman? You, whose primitive technologies would be scoffed at by my people as the idiot machinations of a child? You, whose dedication to a religion of compassion has consistently conflicted with your duty to kill in defense of your world? You, whose attraction to Thornfield persists even in the face of his total ignorance? Wait, what? Shut up, Dex! Shut down the force field generators or we'll blow you apart where you stand! You mean like this? Dex pressed a button on the console in front of him and smiled as every screen in the room flickered and went blank. No way was it that easy. Of course not. This was merely a listening post, monitoring astronomical positions in preparation for activating the field. 
Now that it's fulfilled its function, I've destroyed any information you might use to stop the Doomsday device. No, it can't be. Yes, it can, female. Nothing can stop the field now. Not Earth's armies, not its leaders, and especially not your insolent cabal of science heroes. Especially not when one of you is... Sweet Saturn, Keen! You killed him! He was going for his blaster. Nice grouping. Thanks. Aha! Thornfield! At last! The flashback jumped at the sound of their old friend's voice. They looked up to see Dralis on the screen, metallic bikini still replacing the Rolling Stones t-shirt and jeans she'd so recently abandoned. Dralis! You don't have to do this! You can still come back to us! We can break the mind control decks put on you- Dex? That simpleton? He merely opened up the door! How many times must I tell you, Thornfield? I've given up your ragtag little band for my true destiny. I've learned to see past my crude and embarrassing origin on this backwater world and become the warlord I was born to be! Even now I'm activating the force field that will crush Earth in a mere six hours. Hell of dark metal. You've been masterminding this whole thing? Dex talks a big game, but he's a sucker for a pretty face. Once I realized his weakness, it was simple to take the reins of this invasion from him. I've been pulling his strings for months now. Dex wasn't controlling you. It was the other way around. That's right, traitor. Already the field has begun to close in on your planet. Pressure explosions will begin to occur all over the planet shortly, and at around 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the field will come into contact with the highest peak of the surface of your world, after which it will proceed to crush the entire world and everyone on it into the compressed heart of a singularity. Meanwhile, in the underwater nightmare city of Relay... The stars are right at last! Ready the gates of horror, my minions! The time has come for the Flashback to reap the vengeance whose seeds they sowed the day they chose to meddle in the affairs of the dread monster of the world beneath. The time has come, Flashback, for you to feel the wrath of Cthulhu! As if the Flashback's plate wasn't full enough already, they're about to get a hearty helping of an all-but-forgotten nemesis, one whose horror is renowned beyond time itself. Can the Flashback defeat their old friend and their old enemy? Find out in the next maddening episode of Epic Echoes. Call off Cthulhu. In that episode of Epic Echoes, Guinevere Eckert played the narrator, Nicholas Roach played Max Thornfield, Angela Tymon played Dralis, Jordan D. White played Crisp, the troops, and Dr. Stelloff, Devin White played Molly, Lynn Nelson played Slaughter, Tongwen Wong played Keen, Daniel Schwartz played Dex, and Elijah Weberhan played Cthulhu. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Mikowski. Wonderful. And uh, you know what? Before we uh, finish the show, I think we have time for one more uh, a poem by Jordan. This is a fun one. It's called Smashing in My Skull, and I shall read it myself. I'm going to smash my skull. It's going to be fun. I'll use a brick that's nice and thick, a rather heavy one. There's going to be bleeding and there may be some pain. But that in mind, I think I'll find I'll never see the stains. I'll never know what you do when you hear that I've died. I'll never see if you loved me or even if you'll cry. I'm feeling rather empty. It makes me want to shout. So, like I said, I'll smash my head and let the insides out. I'm always thinking of you. I worry myself sick. But now I'm tired and I'm inspired and want to get out quick. So now the brick is in my hand, the twinkle's in my eye. Your love is gone, yet mine lives on. And so, my love, SMASH! And that's the end of the poem. Because presumably the narrator dies. What did you think, uh, Scapey? Yeah, it, was, it was fine. Uh, you know, I don't want to say bad things about my dad's poems. Well, I don't even think he's going to say that great things about him. I mean, he, if he says anything, he'll be like, oh, they had some wit to him. They had a, a meter. What's a meter? I don't want to explain things to you. You don't... You don't take explanations well. Okay, fine. Uh, that one I liked, uh, I don't really like any of it, but it's okay. It was still good. You know, you just lie. You just lie about things. All right, you know, th th that's enough of this.
That's enough of this. This was a great episode because I hosted it. There was some good stuff on it. We, we got to make fun of Jordan. Oh, I'm so sad about life. I'm a high school student. Did you want to say anything about that, Rory? Oh, I'm so sad about things. I'm a high school student. Yes, that, that's a pretty good... That's a fair assessment. Uh, in, in, in some worlds, he's still a high school student and he's still depressed. Why? I seriously hate you. I seriously hate you. Get out of here. You don't have the authority to kick me out. It's Jordan's house. That's true. That's true. Um, but he's not here, so I'm the host of the house. You're not the host. You're the co-host, if anything. Look, you know what? In fact, here, go, go. You step aside. I'm going to finish the, the extraduction here. The extraduction? Well, it's like an introduction, an extra, uh, it, don't, it doesn't matter. The point is, thank you for listening to the show. I would like to thank Frank Allen and Scapey and perhaps, uh, Lucifer or everyone else. Uh, thanks, Jordan, for writing this terrible poetry that we get to read. I'd like to thank everyone involved in the shows, of course, as well. We're going to now hear the rest of Waxwork Theme J. This is speaking of making fun of Jordan. This is another one where he wrote this song. It's in French. But, in fact, it should be called Je Souhaite. Uh, but he but he pronounced it Je Souhaite because he's wrong about it. You know, I could say that on another universe, that's how these things are pronounced. But, of course, that's... It's just, it's just a lie. He just was wrong. Still, it's a funny song if you, if you know, uh, French in a way. In, it's funny in that way that it, it makes very little sense and it's got bad grammar. So hopefully those of you who know French will laugh again at Jordan rather than with him. Here it is, Maxwork, Theme J, and I, rather than Jordan, will be seeing you. N'est-ce pas la vérité? Et je souhaite cette page de l'année, mais je sais, ce n'est pas vrai. Je souhaite, je suis en célébrité, que vous vous rappelez quand votre chat est mauvais. Et je souhaite que j'ai survolé, mais je sais, ce n'est pas vrai. Je souhaite mon chanson arrêtée, chanter en anglais, c'est ma langue préférée. Et je souhaite ma français parfait, mais je sais, ce n'est pas. On the next episode of Cast and Wax, in Guard Duty, Fole discusses what happened to her. It's not hard. It's not a delicate topic. It's just death. It's a hazard of our calling. In Debatatorium, the topic of gay marriage is addressed, circumspectly. I believe my mom more than I believe some guy who goes around killing squirrels. Some squirrels need to be killed, girl. Did the squirrels break the law? You know, if they're in a place where they're not supposed to be, and I get paid to kill them, those squirrels get dead. That's how that goes. In Epic Echoes, Max Thornfield formulates a plan. Flashback. Flashback? No, no, no. I'm trying to get your attention. Jeez, we need to work out a better system. And in Like Daughter, Pandora works on code breaking. You can do this with any letter. Give me that paper. Okay, how about this letter? I'll read every seventh word from this one, okay? Soccer, glad, thank, pizza, fifth. Okay, fine, that one did work. All this and more in the next episode of Cast and Wax, coming May 12th to waxwork.com.